Welcome to the Fabricator's Coach podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. What we're going to do is review the uh, November article out of Slippery Rock Gazette. The title is Finding Growth Opportunities in an Uncertain Economy. If you've not read the article yet, you can go to uh, our website, fabricatorscoach.com, and select blog and uh, grab a copy and, and look at it there. Um, and then uh, the other option is to go to slipperyrockgazette.net and select current issue. They've also got a great archive uh, function in the, in the top menu. So that's really handy, too. Um, before we dive into this and, and get into some of the particulars, um, how is how is work looking for for you folks these days? Who's who's busy and who's starting to see a slowdown? I can get started up here in Toledo, Ohio. Um, the kitchen and bath dealers have seen a slowdown um, in the traffic. Um, I don't think that's normal, but. Uh, they all seem to be coming out of it. Our business is doing pretty well. Um, I mean, we're keeping the saw full, and um, it, but it has slowed down. I, you know, I can't say it's perfect, um, but we are still busy. We have a, a huge backlog of stuff coming up starting, you know, anytime around the first of the year and going into next year. So a lot of, uh, which I, I guess I would say assisted living type places, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is big in our area right now. So so you've got some commercial or light commercial and, and what you're seeing is the residential is slowing down. Is that right? Yeah. We don't do very much commercial at all. Uh, even the light commercial. I mean, we do probably two or 3% of our business is actually commercial and that's normally for a builder that's also doing housing. Um, but um, yeah, it's more the residential stuff, but it's, you know, it's, the back to school, it's Christmas shopping. It's, I mean, you can think of all the different excuses you want, but it's slowed down some. So, okay. All right. You guys seen the same thing or something different? We're soft, definitely softer than we'd like to be. Um, okay. Very similar on the commercial side where there was a giant backlog and everybody seems to be, you know, their projects are ready for tops now. So, um, it's put us in an interesting position, but uh, the and new construction is way off for us. So, okay, All right, yeah, I think I'm I'm seeing the same kind of thing. Uh, the the shops that I talk to is is whether you're busy or not depends on several factors. One is geography, you know, Florida, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, your five fastest growing states in the country by definition. Other states are growing slower or not growing at all. Um, the the segment, market segment that you're in, commercial lags the cycle, so it tends to not be impacted as quickly as, say, uh, retail residential work. Um, and then, to how well you're running your businesses. You know, um, it, uh, I talk to folks who are in some of these fast-growing areas that are struggling just because of how they run their business. So quite a number of factors that'll, that'll impact um, what that'll a number of factors that will dictate how this economy impacts you in addition to whatever the economy does. So kind of a, a complex formula there in some respects. Um, 
our agenda today is we're going to review the article and then what we've got, and, and several, most of you here, I think have been here before. So, you know, this isn't really a 60-minute presentation. This is more of a conversation. We're wanting to kind of talk with each other, learn from each other. Uh, and and what we'll do is run for pretty much the whole hour. And then toward the end of the hour, we'll, we'll wrap it up. And then I'll leave the meeting open for another 20, 30 minutes in case folks have got specific questions. Um, and a lot of folks, of course, will ask, well, why do you do this? Well, you're talking about, I think Mike's talking about finally getting away to Florida for the holidays uh, after after a lot of years in business. Uh, I think it's important that you have a business that doesn't just make you money, but also gives you time to enjoy it. And the only way I know to do that is to to be is spend more time working on your business and not being an employee in your business. And the whole idea of these articles and these webinars and these podcasts is to hopefully give you some tools to do that. Um, and what we do do is we, we do take the recordings, the audios from these uh, webinars, we go through and edit them, pull out anything that may sound confidential, and then we'll put those out as podcasts so that you've got a chance to, to listen to these again later on if you forgot some particular point that somebody made. So uh, those are also available for you as well. But I think I've already met before. You all know that I've got uh, a few decades of experience in, in all aspects of manufacturing, business ownership, coaching, ran a, ran a fab shop for a few years, owned my own brick and mortar business. And so I think I've got a pretty good handle on what the industry is about. And also having owned my own business, know what uh, those of you who are solo owners, how lonely that can be at times. So um, that's, that's kind of my background in a nutshell. So let's get into the, the meat of the article here. Um, growth opportunities during an uncertain economy. In the article, obviously, I had kind of my thoughts on that. But before we dive into that, I'd like to open it up to you folks and, and see what you're planning to do over the next 12 to 18 months. What are some things you think you might like to do? And let's talk about how you might uh, execute on some of those and some of the ins and outs. Uh, any thoughts on that? Anybody got any plans for the for this potential downturn? We, um, we've just been discussing our goals for the coming year and how we plan to meet them. Um, like I said, I've been in this for 35 years and my opinion is, is I have, I tell people I have a thousand salespeople out there, every kitchen and bath dealer, every home builder, every remodeler, every commercial project is looking for countertops and you can't sit behind your desk in a downtime and expect them to come. Um, we're considering putting another, um, we have two outside salespeople now. Um, we are considering putting a third outside salesperson because um, I, I firmly believe if you get in front of the customers, you get business out of them. So uh, that's what we're considering something in the next six months. So, so would it be fair, my, my first um, item that's, First item that I've got in the in the article is um, increased market share. Um, so it sounds like you're planning on, even if the market shrinks, you'd like to have a, a larger share of that market, right? Uh, you know, we we have a, a, a T-dollar goal and a square footage goal that we have to meet. And if it means going out and finding more of the market share, then that's what we have to do. Uh, I've also told the salespeople, be creative, you know, go talk to the kitchen and bath dealers and bills. You know, what do you want? What can we do for you? You know, and obviously we all have to make money, but you know, would an extra 1% discount or 
Um, maybe if you want to go with the same sink and all of your models or all of your houses, we could buy bulk sinks and give you a discount. We got to be creative. We got to, I hate to use the buzzword, but we got to partner with our customers to do what not, we can't just say our price is 10 bucks. Um, you know, we got to partner with them to get their business and to keep our business going. So my opinion. Fantastic. You're, you're, you're talking my language and you're leading, you're, you're being a great straight man, Mike, you're leading into several of the points that I, that I made in the article. So I think that's, that's awesome. Uh, that's one of the reasons I like these conversations is, you know, Ed's got Ed's ideas, but, but having other folks validate or invalidate those ideas, I think makes for really good discussion and good learning for other folks. So I, I'm, I'm glad, glad at least uh, we're on the same page, which is awesome. Um, yeah, if you've got a, if the market, if you have a recession, then by definition, your market's going to shrink. The number of countertops installed per day in your area is going to be less than what it was. And so you either take that that shrinkage and, and, and ride that out, which a lot of folks will do, or you get aggressive like Mike's talking about. And in his case, he's going to send his, he's going to expand his outside sales force and, and challenge them to go out and, and generate new business. One of the things that will happen as a result of that, obviously, is you know when the market comes back, then you've got a, a bigger share of, of the total market. So when it comes back to what it was before it shrank, then you've got more countertops per day that you're producing. And a lot of times in this industry, especially if interest rates drop off, say, you know, mid, mid to end of next year, I think the market won't just come back. I think we'll get a bump, be a bit, a bit of a bounce there. So where, you know, so a company that, has 10% of the market now, gets aggressive during the downturn, expands that market share to 15% of the market or 20% of the market. When the market returns and then you get a bounce too, then, then you could easily be looking at 15, you know, 50% growth in a short period of time. You know, 30 to 50 is very reasonable and it could be even stronger than that. So I think it's a, that's a great approach. What are some other things that, that some of you may be thinking about doing or some other ways you can think of to increase market share during a potentially down economy. One of the things that I, I brought up in the article was that as, you know, as we all, whenever times get, you know, the economy gets tight, times get tough, we always tend to tighten our belt. So we start looking at where can we cut our spending. And what I see a lot of small businesses do, especially is they will stop their marketing spend. They will cut those expenses to zero. They'll quit doing the online ads and traditional advertising marketing, that sort of thing. So, in fact, if, if things are slowing down in your area, chances are your competition has already done that. They've already quit spending money on, on advertising and marketing. And so that's that's another way to, to go out is to, to increase your market share is to continue your spend, get a little bit, maybe a little more strategic about it, maybe get a little, a little more, uh, maybe manage it a little bit tighter, but not stopping that spend by itself, just continuing what you're doing can help increase your market share as well. When you uh, when you've got a down economy, so that was one of the things that, that I threw out there. Um, any other strategies uh, you guys are looking at as growth opportunities over the next twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, I like what Mike said about you know outside salespeople are a lot smaller sized business than than he is. Um, a lot of things we talk about here is when everybody's zigging that we're going to zag, you know. So to your point, Ed, people are cutting marketing budgets. It's We've accelerated them over the past couple months uh, and we'll probably continue to do so. The other thing I think uh, the obvious one is uh, depending on what your, you know, your strategic 
accelerated plan is for however many years out is looking for um, if there's a good acquisition partner that you have out there, somebody that you can you can potentially uh, absorb into your business uh, and company that would would complement what you do in a geography in which you are uh, to be able to expand that way, too. Because one of the things that we feel is um, this industry, and I can say this, I guess, coming from the outside, uh, not having the experience that so many of you all have on the on the call, is that it seems like uh, there's not as many um, folks, younger folks as much coming into this industry as maybe there is existing folks that are thinking about retirement. Um, so we thought that might be present, present us with an opportunity to be able to buy a good quality business. Um uh, and expand our expand ourselves really well that way. So we've been focusing on preparing our business internally um, to uh, to jump on an opportunity if it presents itself. You know, with capacity and structure and policy procedure and internally, um, we started doing that about a year ago so that we could uh, potentially handle something if it presented came across our desk. Yeah, it's a fantastic strategy. Uh, you guys are probably, uh, Dan, I'm sure you have, but you, the rest of you may have heard the, the phrase silver tsunami. And uh, what that refers to uh, for a lot of folks is what Dan's talking about, the, the fact that the business owners are aging out, they're baby boomers, own, own a, a large disproportionate share of, of small and medium-sized businesses. And as they as we get older, and decide we want to retire, want to cash out. It's time to grab the brass ring and, and go go fishing or play golf or whatever it is we're going to do. There's a lot of opportunities going to present themselves. And so I think um, that's a great strategy, Dan, because I think it's going to be, in my mind, a, a bit of a buyer's market for the next several years until some of this sorts itself out. So with economic pressures and retirement pressures, demographics, that kind of stuff, should be a lot of good opportunities at pretty favorable price points, I would think. Another uh, recommendation I had in the article was enhancing your company image. Uh, anybody doing anything along that lines or got any plans along that lines for the next uh, year, year and a half? You mean as far as the image, what, what exactly uh, that could be? Well, specifically what I was talking about in the article was um, developing your unique value proposition or unique selling proposition. That, and what that basically means is, if a customer is going around or prospect is going around and, and talk to, you know, three or four different fab shops, why would they buy from you rather than somebody else? And I'm talking about all the reasons other than price. We're all going to get price pressures, but what are the things you can do to help keep your price and still get business? What do you do that's different than your competition and working on, on not working on improving that unique proposition and also working on, kind of piggybacking on the earlier point is getting that message out. Oh, okay. Got it. I see. Uh, okay. Well, um, I'll say that um, something that we have been working on as far as, um, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, for that regard of the image is trying to, uh, you know, get the quality uh, of the finished work consistent and also the customer service as far as service as far as personal uh, approach and uh, just today Sasha was telling me that uh, the clients came in and uh, she works with them in the office and they said well we left you know one other shop uh, because we didn't like the way we were treated or spoke to or or even you know called back at certain time and that's something that we try to take 
you know, pride in and try to uh, work uh, with people uh, and provide best customer service. So in that regard, they stayed and went with our company just for that matter. Okay. So two things that you feel like you do better than your competition. One is getting into providing better quality and consistent quality. And the other is the way you treat your customers. That's great. So do you have any plans for, for getting that message out to your, to prospects, to maybe to your retail market segment or to, uh, to contractors? Um, I would say, yes. I would also probably would have to think what are the ways to get that message out? I mean, one would be, you know, if it's, if it's quality of work, then I would say most of the time it's something you can achieve by doing the job, right. And bringing the final product. And then if any issues arise, then address them. And then for the customer service, uh, I think, uh, you know, that's something that we try to advertise, but I feel like it's also something that, you know, you can only prove once you once you get there, if that makes sense. It does, but you still got to be able to communicate that to your customers. And I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Mike's comment about sending his salespeople out, partnering with with customers, partnering with K&Bs and contractors. Uh, your UVP has got to be things that those folks value, right? It's got to be, you got to know what the pain points are, uh, to use a kind of a warm phrase. You've got to know the challenges that your customers have, whether it's the contractor, the K and B, or both of those, you know, and the and the uh, homeowner, and be able to talk to them in a language they understand that helps them helps them that demonstrates to them that you can do what you're saying you're going to do. Uh, and I think that's where the, the the real opportunity is 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 to be able to to ask the right questions of those customers and do that in a way that helps them understand that help it helps them know that you know what they're dealing with and therefore you've developed solutions to those problems. So I think just getting that out is, is really key. You do that with advertising and marketing. You can do that with the conversations that Mike's outside salespeople are going to have. Lots of good ways to get that message out. The next item we've got is, um, is upgrading labor. I know nobody's fought the labor wars the last few years. I know you've had plenty of people to choose from. He said facetiously. Um, obviously, that's been a huge problem for everybody. Um, what I am seeing these days is that there are a lot of fab shops starting to lay off. There are That means there are some people that are out there. They may be good. They may not be good. And as we always know, anytime you, you, you hire somebody from another fab shop, they're almost as likely to bring bad habits as good skills. And that, that can be a mixed blessing at times. Um, I think in looking at upgrading labor, I think this is also an opportunity to work on your training program, because if you think about it, in a in an economy that's softening, you know our market segment's not the only one that gets softer. It's not the only one that shrinks. You know, fab shops aren't the only ones that would be laying off if it got that bad. There will be other businesses that will lay off. Good customer service people, people who have CAD skills, people who know how to run CNC machinery from other industries, but have the core skills that we all need. And so I think getting ready to, to train these folks, figuring out how do you put together a good training program that's not go follow Bubba around for the next three weeks and Shazam, you'll be a qualified operator. You know, it's something a little more structured than that. Has anybody got any plans along the, the lines of upgrading labor? Other than constantly keeping your eyes open for good prospects? I would say... For us, uh, not in particular, uh, but that's probably something that 
would be worth uh, putting effort in. I mean, it's always good to look for some uh, good prospects, but I think that, uh, you know, you need to work on the current, uh, you know, training and constant improvement for inside of the company. And, and Victor, you're a great straight man because now we're into the next item, which is improving processes. <laughs> this is part of what you're talking about. There you know, go. Dan, Dan might can speak to this a little bit too. I, as I look at this industry, this is a, a relatively young industry. You compare it to metalworking, woodworking, um, even, even chemicals and, and pharmaceuticals and all. And yeah, stonework has been around since the, the, the dawn of man in, in a sense, the, the current state of the industry where we're getting technology applied and that sort of thing, we're we're a lot younger than than other industries. And one of the areas that I think we come a little short at times or, or quite obviously quite frequently is how we train people. The two most common methods I see of training in this industry are on the job training, OJT, and something called job shattering. That's the go, go follow Bubba around and he'll, he's our best installer. So you hang around him long enough and you'll be a good installer too. Um, and so lack of structured training, effective training is something that's a, it's a real challenge in this industry. It's a great opportunity, I think. Um, Dan, is that something that, that you've seen from your, your background? Is, is that kind of that gap in this industry? Yeah, without question. And the hard thing is on smaller facilities to be able to figure out how and you're going to do that, you know, so inter intermediately um, too. And I will say this and this, uh, you know, when it comes to labor uh, right now, certainly, I mean, I know we are and I'm sure you guys all are getting more applicants to open roles or just more activity going on. And I say this comment from my previous life more than this, uh, so it might seem obvious to you all, but, um, you know, in my previous life, when you go through any kind of reduction or anything like that, those things are extremely calculated, meaning who is uh, going to be let go. So uh, I've taken that history of, you know, if a company is letting go of folks or cutting staff, um, they're certainly not cutting their best of the best first. They're cutting the ones that they had maybe been thinking about letting go for a period of time or weren't carrying their weight as strongly as they were. So I've seen a lot of that activity come through and I'm very hesitant with those folks uh, just because I know the strategy that goes into that. And, and certainly you all know this, but um, sometimes can be missed, you know, just because they've got a lot of experience doesn't mean they're um, a plus plus people that you're going to upgrade talent on your team um it could be quite the opposite yeah that's that's a great point um i think there's there's two two fate two parts of that two sides of that coin one is i agree 100 what dan just said when you're gonna your your cutbacks are strategic when you have to make them hopefully you've thought through those and, and have that plan already put together for when you need it hopefully you don't need it but you could um the other is is that i have also seen in organizations when things get a little shaky and the company looks like it's struggling a little bit and it's starting to do some cutbacks, I have also seen where you'll find really good qualified people who are the ones who can get a job the easiest that have maybe been thinking about trying something different or thinking about moving from company A to company B in the same industry will be much more open to making that move at times because if they think the boat that they're on starting to spring a leak, the one look over there that that looks like it's running high and dry might be the one they want to go to. So it, it, if you've got a really good 
elevator speech, a really good uh, org- argument for why somebody would want to work for you instead of your competition, you can sometimes go pick up some good quality people, but they're not going to walk in the front door like, like Dan's talking about. The ones walking in your front door typically are not the best of the best, at least at this phase. Down the road, you may get a few, but probably not early in the in the recession. So great, great comment there. Dan, have you guys done anything to work on how you train new employees? Have you guys gotten that far in your development yet? Um, we, we, I've done some intro things just from, again, pulling on the past stuff that I've done. Um, so, and we've been pretty fortunate from an employee perspective the past 12 months. Um, but nothing that's earth shattering at all, Ed. I mean, I'd like to say that we've got something really unique. We're still in the three weeks, do some job shadowing, just create something to get them to do something and send them them right in the fire, uh, perspective. So no, we have not, um, we have not done. Uh, a great job there yet. Okay, good. Uh, well, sorry you hadn't gotten there yet, but it sounded like you hadn't needed to either, so that's good. The the types of things without getting into a lot of details on training are having specific goals, just like you have goal, goals for your business. What's my goal for today, my goal for this week, next month, next year? Same thing for a new employee. What's, what's the goal for this week? What do we expect them to learn this week? Let's tell them up front. Let's have a way to teach them that, and then let's have a way to evaluate at the end of the week, were, they, were we successful in helping them learn that? And so you can take that and expand it, obviously. But one of the things that I've seen with a few clients is finding some of these job description documentation training type apps that will live on a cell phone. Trainual is one, Whale is another, and I think some others that are out there. Um, what's really interesting is that is when you start developing some of these training collaterals and you give a person a way to access those from their cell phone, they're much more likely to use them. I've got one one former client that would build these things out. And when he hired somebody from another industry that, to come in and learn, you know, to run a, run a CNC machine or whatever, he would go ahead and give them the login before they started. In other words, while they're working their, their, their notice at their other employer, he'd give them the login. And a lot of times these folks would get so involved in working on this stuff at night on their own time, they'd show up having gone through the entire program on day one and so that's the type of thing that can happen if you apply technology well and and put some thought into it so that kind of ties into upgrading labor and improving processes um anybody got any any um plans to to take some if things are slow you may have a little spare time anybody got any plans while things are a little bit slower to work on your business to work on Developing training collaterals. Uh, maybe you're thinking about making a software switch uh, to go in and work on some of your processes. Anybody got any of those plans over the next several months? Hey, Ed, the one thing I forgot to mention earlier that, um, again, many of you might be doing, but uh, cross training. You know, as much as we haven't hired a lot, uh, cross training we've found is um, is keeping a lot of interest with our employees, but also um, keeping them on uh, engaged into the business and making them just cross-training our existing employees into different roles and making sure that they're well-versed there, I think is a big takeaway. And we'll focus on more over the next six months. Okay. That's great. Uh, cross-training is always good, especially if you think you may have a reduction down the road, uh, have to let a few people go. The more you have people you have that can do multiple jobs, obviously the better. Um, to help you manage that process, there is a, uh, a skills matrix on the website under free tools. You can download it with some instructions. Uh, just a basic uh, spreadsheet where you list your people down one side and the skills across the top, and you just keep track of who's quali- who, you know who's 
familiar with something, uh, who is who has experience with it, and who's maybe a master. You you, you kind of grade them out, and when you put all this on a spreadsheet, it gives you a really good picture of where your gap, where you're strong, and where you're weak. So that, that's a great way to look at um, at at improving your processes and, and improving your training during a downtime. Under the improving processes um, level, uh, one of the things I talked about was the fact that. You know, we we a lot of times when we, when times get tight, we start tightening our belt. Want to cut cost and labor is where we typically go a lot. You know, really quickly, for a lot of reasons. And if you've got people that you need to to move out of the business because of performance issues, certainly do that. But I always like to encourage that you keep as many people on as long as you can. Number one, they're hard to replace when the market does come back, and it does come back. It will at some point. The other thing is is that. If things are a little bit slower, now you've actually got a little time. If you plan and use it well, people who perform well, people who have good experience, now is a good time to carve out an hour a day or an hour, two or three days a week and start working on how do we improve customer service? How do we improve uh, how our layouts go? How do we improve communication with customers? All your different internal processes in your company it's a great time to work on those because you some of the pressure is off business wise. You're not running as crazy, and you may have a little bit of time to kind of catch your breath and work on the business. So I think that's one of the one of the really big opportunities that frequently gets mess, missed in a in a downturn like this or a potential downturn. Any other thoughts on improving processes? All right, the next one is uh, bring on new product lines. Uh, alluded to these uh, to to looking at maybe some different products bringing on. Uh, obviously, we're going to get a lot of price pressure during a potential downturn. Everybody's going to going to push you for pricing, and obviously, we don't want our core markets to get hammered by that. Sometimes it's better to bring on a low price line, um, bring on um, you know a lower price quartz or or something like that, or a lower price granite. So when people are really budget conscious, they're shopping a lot, pushing hard on price. You've got a way to move them into another product without hurting your core business. And then as the market picks up down the road, then you can easily just not offer that anymore if you want to. Um, a lot of folks are, are taking time now to look at, at bringing on cabinets as a, as a product line. Um, those I always get a little worried about because sometimes the people who are pushing for that kind of thing the hardest are the ones that don't have their countertop processes tight yet. And now they want to bring in cabinets. So it just makes things more complex and, and tougher to manage at times. So obviously you want to make sure your core processes are working well. You're making money off of those first. Um, you know, compacted centered products called generically called porcelain. Those are getting more and more popular, driven more and more by design. The, you know, you saw them hit really hard on the in New England and on the West Coast and the big cities. And now it's starting to show up more and more across the country. Those of you who've worked with porcelain know that it's one of those things you really have to dedicate a lot of time and effort to get good at. It's not quick and easy. So maybe during uh, some slow times, maybe this is time to dip into the savings a little bit, go talk to ISFA or some of the other folks that offer training for products like this and go get certified and start spending time developing your processes to uh, to run this these types of materials so that when the market picks up, you're you're there ready to go. Is anybody looking at a, at a strategy like this where they may bring on new product lines or, or take on new types of products? Mike, you talked about challenging your sales folks to get uh, creative or anything along this line other than maybe trying to standardize sinks and things like that that you guys are talking about. Oh, just maybe if they needed extended terms, 
our typical terms are um, net 15. Uh, you know, we let them go out to 30 days, but if we, if you put 30 days in, you definitely won't get paid for 30 days, but <laughs> yep. um, you know, just, just working with them, lines of communication. Um, you know, we just, we just did one house up here that this is not normal. We have over $260,000 of our stuff in that house. And he's been paying, but you know, under, understandably it's, he owes us a lot of money and we need to get paid too, but communication, you know, he's been out of town and now he's back and he's got a check for us. So I think that's important too, that if you're not hearing from that customer, there's a reason either they're buying somebody else or they're embarrassed to tell you they can't pay you right now. So. Yeah. And when you start looking at uh, improving processes, um, that that's, you know, say that communication is increasing communication, increasing customer service, of course, that's kind of the next one here. Um, yes is uh is is a really good opportunity our our webinar last month was on uh the whole issue of following up on quotes and following up on um on customer initial customer contacts and, and what that can do for you money wise if you do it well so this will be a great time to sit down and pull that article look at those ideas and start figuring out how you can implement something like that too mike uh kind of a side thought side question with a large project like that obviously that's not a template one day install one day you know kind of deal that's going to be done in phases did you find that you had to spend more time kind of project managing that particular job yes um and we have another one coming up that we hopefully have all learned some experience from this one we don't typically obviously our we're residential we do small kitchens you know maybe $15,000 countertops is, you know, not out of the norm, but something like this, we did shower surrounds and wall cladding and, you know, just, it was too big and we should have done a better job of project managing it. You know, we'd get out there and the owner would say, well, why don't you guys do this for me? Why don't you do this? Well, you know, we shouldn't do all those things without <laughs> getting paid. So, but yeah, the next one, we will do a much better job of scheduling and project managing. It's very important. Good. Um, shops that, that haven't had to deal with large, complex jobs like that, I find that there's two things that they can do that can help them out. One is work with the customer up front, especially the contractor, and break the job into bite-sized pieces, phase the job out is, is what we call it. And being able to, to figure out, okay, we think the indoor kitchen is going to be done first, and then we've got these, these vanities, and then we're going to work on the outdoor kitchen, whatever that sequence is. And now you've got bite-sized pieces that you can manage each of those phases like one of your normal jobs. And so that that helps both, Mike, you mentioned you're doing throughput on a daily basis. That helps you calculate throughput per phase, make sure you get enough throughput each day to cover your operating expense, hit your P targets. You know, that kind of thing can helps out a lot. Another thing that I find gets to be pretty much essential is you almost have to have somebody in your company that is a project manager not necessarily for that one job, but if you've got multiples of those going, they can usually handle more than one job. And that project manager isn't just talking with the contractor. They're actually going out on site and laying eyes on. Um, contract, you know, the, the challenges we've had with labor, you've all, we've all dealt with the impact of contractors and their challenges with subs. Same kind of thing, only it's same dynamic, only it's multiplied. And so they're really struggling to manage their projects a lot of times. And as we know, some contractors do better than others. And what we what I find is that fab shop owners pretty much have to assign somebody on their staff to go manage that project so that you've got good intel on 
you know, just how far along are they with that outdoor kitchen? Well, they hadn't poured concrete and laid stone yet. So they're probably another month out. They said it was me next week, but that ain't happening. You know, you, you get better understanding of what's really going on so that you can perform better. It, it's an expense that really can pay off for you. The other thing that um, we've learned a little bit more from experience is don't be afraid to send more than one invoice. Um, you know, when we bring in, you know, several, a bundle of material for their job because we know we're going to use it over the next month. Invoice it for materials. They have, they really have no right to say no. Um, and likewise, some of them, when you're on a job like that, you get, you're only allowed a certain number of draws and then they start charging you for it. Um, so get, get your draw in early, get your, you know, get your request for money in early because if you don't ask, you don't get paid. <laughs> Yeah, that, that goes back to kind of managing the project, you know, starting off with a conversation up front so everybody's on the same page for how this works, you know, what right. they can expect. So, yeah, I think that, that's a great point. Managing cash flow on large projects when you're used to, you know, $10,000, $20,000 kitchens, managing cash flow on a quarter million dollar project can be a big challenge. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, and that, of course, kind of ties into the, to this next bullet, which is enhancing customer experience. Um, I'm, a, I'm still amazed at how many people think it's okay to when a customer comes in and they make their material selections, you have all your conversations. I'm amazed how many people think it's okay to send a quote out the next day or two or three days later. Um, you know, a, this is a good opportunity when things are a little bit slower to figure out, okay, how do we turn quotes around quicker? How do we follow up on leads quicker? Um, you know, we, our template to install lead time is running in two, three, four weeks. How do we get that shorter and, and more consistent? Um, you know, those types of things are enhancing your customer experience gets to be a real part of your unique value proposition, something that you can get out there and market. Kind of ties back into some of these other bullets we've got on the screen here. Um, anybody got any plans for for improving their customer experience over the next next uh 12 to 18 months. Victor, you had kind of mentioned that. Have you got any specific plans lined up other than just trying to be nice to people and 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 follow up quickly? Well, you always got to be nice to people, right? <laughs> Not in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> well, I'm saying Charleston specifically because we uh, have people from so many different states and uh, uh, coming, coming here, so you kind of kind of really have to be flexible to, you know, to kind of cover all the different mentalities in that and, regard. And we got to keep uh, our image up for that great Southern hospitality that Charleston's known for, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> so we, we have to keep up with it. Um, well, uh, I would say that, you know, you touch based on following up um, and, uh, you know, that's, I would think probably falls back into, you know, kind of improving the process and continue with, with the training. Uh, and uh, I feel like that's also something that probably has to be done continuously. Uh, you know, not something you can kind of uh, make sure that it's working and then forget about it. I think, I think it's always has to be uh, something uh, on, ongoing uh, in that regard. Uh, but I would say that uh, I don't have any, uh, you know, uh, current plans on top of my head or something that I can speak of that we already planned for the next, you know, uh, six uh, months uh, or so. But I'll be, you know, interested to hear if anybody has those uh, kind of plans and uh, 
maybe it's something we could do as well. Anybody got any thoughts along that that uh, line for improving, enhancing the customer experience? One thing that we've done, and I I don't remember who, but I heard this someplace and I stole it. Um, how do we get the yes? Um, so many times somebody will call in here and it's something that we're, you know, maybe we didn't do it or, you know, the person that's answering the phone doesn't know that we can do it. Um, so how do we get the yes? How, how do we talk about this job? And not always we can say yes, but how do we, how can we do this where we can say yes? And normally when it comes to something like that, that job is, you're probably going to be able to charge more money for it because it's, if it's something that you can't say yes to right away, it's probably complicated. So that's something we've been looking at lately is how do we get the yes? So what are you, anything in specific that you can share with us for how you're doing that? Oh, just, um, we haven't been doing shower surrounds for a while. Uh, I mean, we've, we've done them on and off for certain builders, but it's something that, you know, that could be a big, bigger part of our business, but, you know, when people would call and say, um, you know, do, do you do wall cladding? No. Well, you know, wall cladding is like shower surrounds. You know, it's uh, how do we get the yes? Well, it happens to be that this the ceiling is, you know, 15 feet high. Well, let's talk about it. You know, what's it going to take? Um, we started having um, we started having a morning meeting every morning, every morning at 930, the managers and assistant managers get together and we talk about um, not to point fingers, but to say, hey, you know, that job didn't quite fit right yesterday. Can the templaters take a little bit better close look at it? Or, you know, we didn't include uh, milling that splashdown for that customer. So we, we meet every morning and it's it's the meeting now. We've only started doing this for like the last, um, I don't know, month or two. But um, it's getting to the point now that we know what we're doing wrong or we've been pointing it out. And, um, and but that would be a good place that if somebody's got a, something that is not normal um, to bring it up in this meeting, because you know I can go talk to the install manager and you say, oh, yeah, we can do that. Not a problem. But then you go talk to uh, production in there. So if you get them all in one room, it's pretty easy to say, okay, can we get the yes on this question or not? So that's how we do it. That's great. I think I love the idea that you're getting your folks involved in that because obviously as they get involved and they they have their ideas and, and they help uh, help craft whatever that solution is, now they've got a lot more ownership in it than if Mike walks in and says, okay, we're going to do wall cladding and this is this is what we're going to do and how. You know, right. um, I like that a lot. That's great. And that morning meeting only lasts about 15 minutes on the average. So, you know, it's in and out, answer the questions. It's not there to have a big discussion. If you've got something that needs to be discussed, okay, fine. Take it out of, out of the meeting and discuss it between you guys. We'll talk about it again tomorrow. So. Yeah, that's great. Anybody else got anything along, along those lines that they're, they're planning on working on or they're in the process of working on? If you want to challenge yourself a little bit, as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a big fan of going going and finding um, you know resources and, and perspectives outside of the industry to help bring in and improve our industry. There's a book out there for those of you who like to read, and I, I guess it's on Audible too if you like that. But the title is called Unreasonable Hospitality, and the art the author's last name is 
I think it's Gudara, G-U-I-D-A-R-A, and you can get it on Amazon. It's not about this industry, but it's a really interesting story about, you know, how you can improve your customer experience, how you can enhance that. And I think it's also got a really good, some good subplots on leadership and management as well. So it's it's a good read. It's an easy read. And um, I think it's a good way to kind of challenge ourselves to to look at things a little bit differently um, for our industry. So just a suggestion for those of you who may be interested. That kind of wraps up our webinar. I think as we talk about these, these opportunities, it was, as we look at kind of how your current business is performing relative to how you'd like it to perform, I think it's always important for owners to recognize and admit that your business is running exactly the way you designed it to run. And that's, I think that's just basic truth in terms of the results that we're getting out of our businesses. And so if you're not happy with how it's running and you'd like to have uh, some suggestions, like to get another uh, another perspective on that, hit the hit Fabricators Coach website. Uh, I offer a free customized assessment. Press the button, schedule your call, and we'll talk and see if we make some good suggestions for you. Our, uh, our article that's coming out first of December is called, So You Want to Sell Your Business? And in it, we discuss some of the ins and outs of selling a fab shop business. And if you're just absolutely burning and blistering and just can't wait until then for the article, um, we got a bonus for you. I have recorded a six-part podcast series on that topic. The first three episodes are with Aaron Crowley, who's the inventor of the no-lift uh, install cart and who also owned a fab shop for almost 20 years. He sold his recently, and we spend three episodes talking about his, his experience in that transition and in that process. The uh, second three episodes, there's a guy named um, Chase Busenbart, who is who grew up in this industry. His uh, parents have a fab shop. I think they've still got it. And he is also a certified business broker. So he knows this industry. He knows the ins and outs of selling a business. We'll get a little deeper into the how do they determine the value for your business? What's it worth? What's the process for selling your business look like? Uh, that sort of thing. So if you're uh, really interested in in that topic, the first of those six episodes has already dropped. Look for a new episode roughly every two weeks. So these episodes will carry you probably through the end of the year, I think, if I got my schedule right in my head. But folks, I want to thank you for taking time out of your Thursday. Hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, if you got any specific questions, give me a call. And above all, hope you all have a fantastic Thanksgiving next week.